Hello, in this episode, we will talk with Alejandro Chavira. In this interview, you're going to learn some great things about Alejandro, about how he went from a geography major and his journey as he became an ed tech trainer and supporter and one of the biggest advocates for our youth at the camps and the halls. Hi, Alejandro. Welcome to the show. We're glad you're with us. Can you share a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes, my name is Alejandro Chavira, and currently I work as an ITO coordinator here in Los Angeles County Office of Education. Uh, I actually started out in LACO as a teacher, so LACO has its own uh, schools. So I worked at a community county school back in uh, 2000. That's how I started, and I started as a teacher. And I was a teacher for about almost 10 years, which I actually briefly left LACO just for a little bit, and I came back as a, a consultant, part-time consultant, working with data, test data specifically. And uh, I saw that there was an ITO coordinator position available. I went for it. And since 2013, I've been an ITO coordinator here at Los Angeles County Office of Education. That's wow. really cool, Alejandro. And Great. just listening to it, you were a teacher first. You came back as a consultant for data analysis. And then you saw the ITO coordinator position open up. So why did you apply for the ITL coordinator position? Just because I'm like, oh, you're going from teaching to data analysis to all of a sudden you're becoming a ed tech trainer. It actually started off when I entered college, uh, university actually. And believe it or not, I majored in geography. You're going to say geography. Yep, geography. And at that time, this was during the 19, mid-90s, 1994, 95. During that time, you know, it was the internet just came on we were still using floppy disks right and we were uh, using computers starting to use computers more and during that time in geography we were creating maps geographic information systems so mm. my role was to create maps that contain information such as plotting areas in alley county uh, that are more susceptible to fire danger so i started getting into a little bit uh, learning these programs. We did a little bit of coding, which if you remember back in the days, we were using DOS, D-O-S. And, right. and, it's, and it's kind of weird because we're sort of coming full circle, right? Today, now we're doing more uh, coding, right? But during that time, I, I was getting into technology more. Uh, I kind of like, liked it. And so that was that. Then in early 2000, I had a friend who was always who was already working at LACO. He was in the uh, he was a teacher at LACO, and during that time, you know, I was thinking about my my career. You know, what am I going to work at? Am I going to continue uh, focus in geography where I get a job as a urban planner or something like that? And then my friend invited me, say, "Why don't you come in and uh, to my classroom, uh, see what I do?" And because we currently need substitute teachers, and so he invited me to his classroom. I sat in. I saw that he was working with underprivileged or underserviced youth. And, you know, he was, for me, he was getting through to them, even though the these students are a challenge, right, to okay. work with. Uh, he was getting through to them. And for me, that was like, wow, I, I want to mm. do something what he is doing. I uh, then applied for LACO and I started as a substitute teacher and I became a teacher. When I became Wait, a teacher... 
Can I interrupt you for a second? That really makes me curious because I didn't know that about you. A friend had invited you to just come and see what he was doing. That he must have had a real passion for uh, reaching those students. He did. He he knew how to connect with them, and uh, I think you know he was able to tap into their prior knowledge, tap into what their interests were. And um, I kind of saw, hey, this is something I can do. I felt he was making a difference in these uh, students' lives. So that's one of the reasons I applied. And yeah, as soon as I started subbing, they picked me up as a teacher. There were some openings, and then I became a teacher. And then during that time as a teacher, and this was back in 2001, 2002, our schools had a grant. They were able to purchase some Macs, and these were the old Macs where you know they had the little colors. Every uh, uh, desktop Mac had the the color. Oh, and yes. The programs that were installed in the Mac were Hyper Studio and Claris Works, which eventually became Apple Works. So those were the tools, the technology tools that were available for me to work with the students. Uh, not in addition to the internet, which was still in its novice, right? And right. keep in mind, uh, during this time, you know, security, internet security uh, was not as strong. So that was right. one of my challenges is working with students, having them research on the internet. Uh, not only that, but uh, digital citizenship. To me, that's really the beginning of digital citizenship, you know, letting right. them know that, hey, you got to make sure you share information. At that time, I believe chat chatting was important and a lot of these students love to chat on these websites and i always had to monitor that and you know how to remind them that you know that was inappropriate and sharing information can be very dangerous so alejandro you've been talking a lot about the history of education essentially to me here just listening to everything going on between the fact that you went from a geography major to observing a friend teaching a classroom to becoming a classroom teacher once you started, what were the biggest challenges you saw when it came to the technology? The biggest challenge it was getting them focused, especially uh, when we were using the internet. But using the internet, as I was explaining er- earlier, it was probably the infancy of internet security. So I really had to monitor my students, monitor them so they, you know, will not be on inappropriate sites, making sure that they don't share important information about themselves. So that was my biggest challenge. But of course, with anything, our students, you know, get tired of doing the same things over and over. So one of the biggest challenges I had was, okay, now that they know this, what else, what other technology tools, what other project ideas can I come up with uh, using technology? And luckily for me, as the years progressed, technology started getting them started to improve. So thinking now what 20 years ago, technology has come a long way, especially in education, which now we have a lot of these collaborative tools. So I remember back in 2000, 2010, 2000, actually, yeah, 2010, 2011, maybe a little bit before that, right? Google started coming on board. And we have a lot of these uh, websites that are uh, web 2.0 tools that were available, which focus on collaboration and creating. So those tools, those programs, you know, opened up a lot of doors for me. 
So I had to continue my education and learning some of these tools, which uh, I continued in the university taking as many classes as I could related to technology. Uh, I began actually a master's program, even though I didn't completed the master's program uh, related to media creation. I eventually completed another master's program, which is administration. But that I learned so much information uh, on from digital citizenship, so using these tools uh, to enforce learning in the classroom. So you've, you've gone through a lot and you're sharing so much information with us. So could you do me a favor and break down what Web 1.0 is? Web 1.0 for me is just basically static websites, static mm. information, just like the WebQuest was. The WebQuest, I would create a, a web page, uh, which at that time I remember learning the HTML code, by the way. But I was able to create my own web page, and students would go on there and just read the steps that I needed them to do. And basically, for the most part, it was just them researching information on the web. When Web 2.0 came along, then we had some of these tools that were, for me, were like game changers. For example, one tool uh, that I came across uh, a little bit later, like in 2013, it was Powtoon, which was uh, a program which allowed us to create animated videos. So now you could kind of bring your presentations to life with a video tool, which is on the web. You know, at that time we were using iMovie, which by the way, I still love iMovie. It's a great tool to do video editing. But as the years go by, we increasingly have these online tools that allow us to create media. And Powtoons was one of them. It was very easy to create uh, video content using Powtoons. And of course, we have a lot more other programs like Powtoons, like WeVideo. There's a lot of these Web 2.0 tools that allow us to create content, media content with such ease. And a lot of these tools like I said, are collaborative. So we could have more than one student creating a video online, creating a presentation online, uh, creating coding to create something, to create a game, to create something that is related to what they're learning in the classroom. What, what advice would you give to teachers, students, parents, administrators just that, that is around this uh, creating the advice is let them explore, let them play around with these tools, let them get familiarized with these tools. If they never get a chance to, or the opportunity to use these tools or play around or learn it, you know, there, there's no point. They're never going to learn it. And the skills that come with it and learning these tools transpose to other programs that they might need eventually in their career that they choose. So that's my advice is to don't be afraid with technology, let students explore, let students try it out and see what they can create. Where would you have teachers or school administrators start themselves if they're just trying to get into it or if they're hesitant? Well, my advice for teachers, administrators and educators who want to dive into technology but are a little bit timid about the use of technology, I would say is to uh, learn as much as you can. There are a lot of opportunities to learn these tools and how to use them in the classroom, how to integrate 
these tools in a classroom. So there are, for example, uh, Google certifies teachers, uh, Microsoft certified teachers in the use of these tools. Not only that, we here at ITO, Instructional Technology Outreach here at LACO, we offer some workshops in helping you use some of these tools and integrate them in the classroom. So that would be my advice first is if you're a little bit uh, timid, uh, wary about using tech tools in the classroom is learn them first. Get used to them. Get yourself used to them because if you don't know what these tools are, do not know how to use them, your students are going to be the same way. They're kind of, it's not going to translate from you to your students. So they're going to have a hard time in using those tools appropriately in the classroom. So that would be my suggestion. Totally. Yeah, I think what you're saying is be a role model. And as a role model, we we first need to, we don't have to be experts in it from what I'm getting from what you're saying. We just have to practice with enough, play with enough, or reach out for help if needed. Become a role model for your students. It's okay to be scared or intimidated I, from what I'm hearing you say is just take the steps forward and keep progressing. Is that is that about accurate as to what I'm saying? Exactly. So model, model, always to your students. Don't worry about the creativity. The creativity will come from the students. As soon as they're comfortable using that tool, that creativity will come out from them. So all you're doing is you're facilitating. You're helping the students use the tool and guiding them. You also work with students that are in the camps and the halls, and they also deserve an equitable education as well. And it's one of the things we try to do is promote this equitable education. And one of the things I would like to ask and just get your viewpoint on Alejandro is what do you see as the biggest or most unique issue that students at the camps or halls face compared to their peers outside of the camps or halls when it comes to technology? That's a very good question, Chris. So one of the challenges I see that a lot of uh, incarcerated youth have, unfortunately, is uh, being in that environment, being in that incarcerated environment. So we have all these students who have made bad decisions, bad mistakes, and so they're now incarcerated. They're in this institution at a juvenile hall, at a camp, and keep in mind, all these students have different things going on, their, on in their life. So some have family issues, some have been exposed to violence, uh, have drug issues. Uh, and so it's very difficult to focus, focus on your education while you're worried about your next court case, while you're worried about, you know, being uh, jumped by a rival gang or getting involved into more trouble. So it's very hard to focus in that classroom setting, in that incarcerated environment. So I think that's one of the first challenges. And of course, we do have security. So security is important without uh, having a safe environment. We cannot learn, right? So security is important, but sometimes I do feel that is too much security. For example, in our use of technology, right? We do have at these institutions, at these housing camps, we do have a secured internet. However, that keeps us from using other tools that are on the web, just because some of these tools involve have 
collaboration tools where students can communicate with people who are on the outside and get into more trouble. Of course, we do have uh, technology tools at our school sites in our, in, in our juvenile halls and camps. So we have all these tools and part of our role as ITO coordinators is to help our teachers at juvenile halls and camps and community county schools use some of the tools that they have available. And keep in mind, technology is improving. So as we improve with technology, we're getting more access to these tools. And as companies, you know, have that in mind that they need to secure their, their products, secure their, their programs, you know, that allows us to eventually use these tools with our students. But uh, yeah, sometimes uh, too much safety impedes us from doing stuff with incarcerated youth. We have a hard time finding, okay, what other tools besides the tools that they already have can we use with our students? And that's one of the challenges being a teacher, an educator in a juvenile hall camp or community county. What do you think about a word for those security professionals? Maybe it's those network engineers or cybersecurity professionals or policymakers even in terms of how they can help find that perfect balance for students and teachers? That's very important. I'm glad you asked that question. So yeah, one of the things about, uh, and I'm going back to the Chris's question about the challenges is that for incarcerated youth, for youth who are underprivileged, underserved, a lot of time these policymakers, these creators of softwares are not thinking about uh, these students. So they leave them out completely, right? So a lot of the programs that are out there, you know, they're not thinking of including uh, all these other groups of students. And sometimes that that can hurt them. But uh, um, I mean, I do see some change uh, especially in the system. I know Alley County Office of Ed and Alley County Probation and the county in, in general are looking into different models of, uh, of serving these youth. So I know they have what they call the Alley model, which uh, definitely involving more uh, social emotional learning, having groups work with the students, uh, having a more environment that's not so much looks uh, like they're incarcerated in an institution. Even though they're still incarcerated, the students do get uh, all these services and it's a more relaxing uh, atmosphere. So policymakers are now starting to, to look at this underserved group. And I hope uh, other, uh, the technology improves and software creators, you know, start thinking of, the, of some of our youth and how they can serve not only one group of students, but uh, a diverse group of, of students. I think just listening to you, you talk, it seems like we need to bring people together and continue to remember that these are kids in the camps and halls, that these are still kids at the end of the day, regardless of the choices they have made that place them where they're at, they're still kids and they still deserve an equitable education. Just kind of going back to your the, the question I asked about technology for the kids, it sounds like even with limited technology, our students can still be successful. 
And that's where we come in as trainers in the realm of instructional technology, how to integrate the tools that they have available into their lessons. Because even though I talk about, you know, that there some of these programs that are not available for our students at the juvenile halls at Los Angeles County Office of Education, we made great strides to where, you know, they have the, the technology devices. We have one-to-one devices for each of our students. We, I mentioned already, we have a secure internet. We have some programs available. So and now it's up to us, the trainers, to work with our educators and show them and help them how to use some of these tools uh, and integrate them into their lessons. I think that's the key. As time comes along, of course, uh, the technology will improve. I'm sure if, uh, you know, like I mentioned, if software developers, creators of these programs keep in mind the diverse groups, you know, we will be able to use some of these tools with our incarcerated youth. Well, Alejandro, I was wondering if you could share a success story or two from your experience. Yes, there have been quite a few uh, success stories. Uh, I can think of several, uh, but one in particular, as I was a classroom teacher, uh, it's very challenging working with our students. A lot of our students uh, have a lot of gaps in their education. Not only that, they're lacking structure and discipline. So one of the key things as a teacher, I would definitely work with the students, try to provide them that structure, uh, but definitely show them that, hey, I'm caring, I'm here for them, I'm trying to help them. And seeing that progression of students break down from when they're coming to classroom, they don't want to uh, work with you, you know, they struggle. But as I see time go by, they're breaking down slowly to eventually where, you know, uh, a year or two years after I see their growth and I see how they have changed since when I first uh, saw them or they entered into my classroom, where now they're uh, become more engaged, not only in their learning, but about themselves. I don't keep up with all my students, but I do keep up with the uh, very few. And I know from their successes of they now are working in a career. They're either in nursing, in working in financial institutions, they're in stable careers. And for me, that is a success. Knowing that I was a, a small part in that and helping them keep out of trouble, continuing with their life and be successful with their life. To me, that's a success. Any student that I see that progress, to me, that is a success story. I am so glad that I asked you about that. Yeah. That's really inspirational. Yeah. And even though I cannot take credit for everything, you know, because it's really them, they're the ones that made the change. But like I said, uh, just helping them that little input, be a part of that, that to me is the world to me. That's why I got into education. And even though I can't save the whole world, I can, us, we as educators, we can make a difference in someone's life. Thank you, Alejandro. I appreciate you coming. I appreciate you spending time with us today. Thank yeah, you so thank much you. for inviting me. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Chris. Uh, okay. Thank you for having me here. And, you know, for those of you who are listening, I hope to one day uh, see you uh, here at ITOR Workshops. And uh, until next time, continue your road to a successful tech integration into your classroom. Bye-bye, everybody. 
The Tech Lasso podcast is produced by the ITO coordinator team. We are part of the Technology Learning and Support Services Department at the Los Angeles County Office of Education. This work is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. And use our response form to be considered for inclusion in future episodes. Let us know what you're thinking. Also, share your thoughts via Twitter at LACO underscore ITO and on Facebook at LACO ITO. Follow us on LinkedIn at LACO-ITO. Thank you.